Welcome, everyone, to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is one Mama Jamma who counts obscenities on the Daredevil Podcast. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Language. Today's episode, Avengers Age of Ultron, is brought to you by the Wakanda National Board of Tourism. Come for the vibranium, leave with a brand. All right, when we catch you up on what went down, Matt, the most anticipated film of the summer starts with, uh, you know, coming right from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in media res this um, you know, daring raid on a Hydra stronghold in the uh, fictional Eastern European nation of Sokovia. Indeed, and it was it was uh, certainly a departure from the first film that took an hour to get everybody together, and it was nice to kind of jump in here, big action set piece to begin with, um, big effects to begin with, even before we have a title card, and. Uh, Nice to see the Avengers doing avenging from the word go. I think the thing, you know, you mentioned the hour wait to get everybody together in the, you know, original, which, you know, I, I said then, and you'll have an opportunity to go back and listen to that a little later, uh, you know, uh, this summer. But um, I said then, I stand by it now, the greatest superhero movie to this point. Um, the chemistry here as they begin the movie is something that is very heavily stressed. You know, the, the in jokes amongst one another, um, we get to see that, um, the Hulk, Bruce Banner and, um, black widow, uh, Natasha Romanoff have, I think for my money, uh, had a logical extension of their relationship in the first film. I know there's been some blowback, wait, what are you doing? The Hulk and uh, Black Widow. I don't have a problem with it. And it really worked for me, particularly the um, Spock Ponfar scene that they uh, pull in there with the recurring motif of the lullaby. Yeah, I think it worked. And again, we're always coming at this from a point of view of familiarity with the comics, but not a not a deep history of having read every every last issue. Um to me, it worked. I mean, I know that there was certainly a suggestion of closeness between her and Hawkeye in the first film. Um, I suspect as we get into the story more, some of the complaints that Jeremy Renner had about uh, his character not being used to its fullest potential in the first film may have influenced where his character is taken in this film. And if that's the case, then that, you know, you got to have some tension somewhere between between a couple of people. And given that uh, <laughs> given that the film has cut out other romantic ladies from other films uh to me this is just logical and and it worked the banter between tony stark and steve rogers um the way that black widow uh, punctuates you know some of the events of the raid there hey somebody take out that bunker hulk goes running through it um Really, really worked, and just a, a fast-paced, exciting open. I think, too, with the Hulk stuff, it's a bit of an extension of the Battle of New York 
um, business that we saw where, you know, he's in control but still in a rage. It's kind of that, you know, when we all lose our temper, we're not necessarily completely blind monsters, have no idea what's going on. So there's some level of control, but there still is also some level of kind of higher order thinking. So now that that is a thing two years later, uh, two years later, three years later, three years later, um, you know, now that there's been practice for Bruce Banner to kind of be in that sweet spot of rage, but, but not just smashing anybody who comes near him, like not smashing the good guys. Uh, I, I thought it was just this, a, a subtle uh, line that they were walking, but one well done. And this, you know, opening act really to pull us into Stark's post-traumatic stress disorder. When he sees the giant creature from the original film, he gets touched by the Scarlet Witch and he has this vision of, you know, all of the Avengers defeated before him and that, He's somehow responsible and leading to the hubris of uh, what he and Bruce Banner will do. Yeah, I had wondered initially if he was going to um, kind of reject the falsity of that vision because he's so bright. Um, But, Pete, you rightly point out that that actually is a, um, you know, a jumping off point for him to. To, to to take that uh, that notion, regardless of you know whether it's been a fake vision or done by an enhanced person, but to say, hey, this actually could happen, and I need to work to prevent it. From there, you know, we get everybody back to Avengers Tower. There's the catch up in terms of what's gone on there, the technology that they're using, the Iron Legion, um, something that Starks you know, invested quite a bit in, but you know, this, this relationship that's core at the heart of this incarnation of the Avengers with the science brothers between Stark and Banner and their decision to pursue peace in their time, particularly the idea of a suit of armor around the world, but the science brothers botch it. There is enough conversation that the two of them are having later on when you inject Steve Rogers into it. There's enough of a conversation, I think, where there's there's a there's a nice balance of talking about the real world. You know, I mean, hey, we're going to prevent World War II from being too bad. Let's make a nuclear bomb or two or three. Kind of that that thinking that is both logical and completely you know, opposite from, from the outcome that you're looking for. Um, and the ability to have that cognitive dissonance is something that they're touching on here. They're not turning it into a message picture. Uh, and certainly it's not at the forefront as much as, uh, say the second captain America film, but it's nice that they're kind of drawing in on some of that real world stuff. And the writing's prescient here, you know, Whedon says through Stark, I don't want to hear the man shouldn't meddle medley. And the idea that they have three days with Loki's scepter here, that we're going to do everything we can to try to get the most out of it. God knows Hydra and whatever other entities have come across it since we last saw it in the original Avengers movie have. So why shouldn't the good guys benefit from this same type of tech they're, you know, we get the montage. They're disappointed that it it doesn't take, and of course, 
we know that just as the parties taking place, all this is going on beneath them. And that party scene certainly is fun. It's nice that the um, that the universe, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, is now populated enough that when you throw a party like this, you're really able to go so deep in the cast. Uh, a couple points off for these throwaway lines of, oh, if only Pepper could be here, and Jane, and we're going to call attention to them not being here by then having... Maria Hill say, but how could they deal with all the testosterone? To me, it was just, look, I get that you can't have everybody and everything in an Avengers movie. I get that there can't be a 30-minute Pepper Potts side story of running the business because that's just that's just not where it is anymore. They're not making more, more Iron Man movies, so they're done with her. But I kind of feel like if you can't have them story-wise or you can't sit and say – hey, can you come for a day and do a shoot? And if they're asking for too much money and you say no thanks, which I'm not saying was a rumor, I'm just saying that that can happen, then you know what? Don't call attention to it. We'll just we'll just understand that these two actresses aren't there for logistical or financial or story reasons. You kind of don't need to explain it away, in my opinion. A lot of the reviews, and they've been largely positive of this film, have made the criticism that this movie is uh, checking off boxes, things that we must do. And I have to argue for the decision not to include Pepper Potts and not to include Jane Foster, apart from the expense of the two actresses in Gwyneth Paltrow and Natalie Portman. But the idea here that we have to name check them, we have to explain why they're not there, completely fine with it. Uh, And the way that it enhances... Maria Hill's character as, you know, being part of the boys, not to the extent of a uh, Black Widow, but certainly being there and and an enhanced, uh, increased female presence in this version of the Avengers. I think that's important. I think it's important in 2015. Absolutely. Hope you're listening, Jeremy Renner. (laughs) We'll get to him. He's going to get his. Don't worry. (laughs) If not in this movie, um, but Ultron's birth, you know, we have the the party, the the maybe the best Stan Lee cameo yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Thor's pouring, uh, you know, thousand year aged whatever alcohol, and uh, you know the 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 guy who stormed Omaha Beach that wasn't for mortal men either. Apparently, you know. Uh, just shuffles out of Avengers Tower, uh, you know, five sheets to the wind. But um, with a drunken know, Excelsior, no less. I know, I know. Uh, inspired, but um, you know, the the little uh, Thor's hammer uh, pickup party there gets busted up by Ultron, and you know, on first viewing, and it, it's hard not to be out in front of the marketing with this and how heavily they push the no strings on me and everything like this. Um, it, it plays better than the, um, the promotion of it led you to believe. Yeah. I, I think, uh, though this movie is not a grand slam home run for me, uh, I, I enjoyed it very much. Nonetheless, I, I, I felt that there were multiple points where I wished I hadn't seen the amount of advertising that I had. Um, and I knew that going in. Oh, I'll just watch the teaser trailer five times. Oh, there's a, the full trailer. Okay, the second trailer. Um, but there's there's beats, particularly in this party scene, and then even the 
the the party aftermath scene, which uh, which uh, was uh, supposed to premiere on Shield and then didn't, and so on and so forth. But uh, I kind of felt like there was there was a lot of that in there that I had already seen. But again, goes with the territory. And then to thrust the movie forward, that Ultron comes forward and says, you know, here's what I'm going to do. This is about your extinction. We move to Wakanda, which we're previewing for the Black Panther movie. And um, it's there that the guts of this film really come across. We get a number of visions between Captain America, Black Widow, Thor. You know, Hawkeye almost gets one, and it's smart to not go there and to have the character call it out. Yeah, I've done the whole mind control thing and everything there. Um, But what we get, Matt, after the conflict, or, or during the conflict, of course, with Ultron and the twins... We get Captain America seeing Peggy Carter, which was great. And to, to pull that back to the Agent Carter series we've podcasted as well. We get um, Black Widow and another reference to the Agent Carter series with the Red Room where she was raised and trained. And the idea that is, you know, extrapolated later on in the film, the you know, graduation ceremony with the sterilization and, you know, having to, to murder people to, to prove, uh, her effectiveness and, and the end of their training. And then the one with the greatest significance, what Thor sees with Heimdall and where that's pulling us forward for phase three of these Marvel films. Each of those individual visions were effective, uh, but I felt like to have them all together, first of all, it was just like, you know, and Haley Atwell, and Idris Elba, you know, and, and oh, we referenced the Red Room stuff in Agent Carter. I just kind of felt like, I felt like this was, and again, I'm not down on this movie at all, but I felt like Avengers of Age of Ultron was a Las Vegas buffet, and the last movie was an everything pizza. So it's kind of, there's, there's not just more on top of the pizza now. Now it's everything. And I, I felt like to have these multiple visions together, yes, this is the story time to do it. And the interaction with uh, the the unnamed Scarlet Witch, never never referred to as Scarlet Witch, never referred to as Quicksilver, uh, I, I might mention, which was news to, uh, news to the uh, actor who plays Quicksilver, that it's never mentioned. But... Um, I felt like it was a little jam-packed here, plus the the rougher points of this film, most importantly in this particular scene, the Heimdall stuff, I felt mildly suffer from the fact that the movie is being tugged in three different directions. One is it's being tugged by its past, and some of the references needs to get made, which is fine. It is a sequel to a bunch of these sequels, and it's the last one. It also has story responsibilities to this story, which you would expect would naturally propel it. But you really, there were times where you really, really felt that tug of, look, look, we're headed towards Infinity War. We're, you know, we're headed towards the future. And it made me think of, of Iron Man 2, where some of the weakest parts of that movie are like, I can't help you because there's a thing in Arizona because it's Arizona. Next movie. Goodbye. And I kind of felt like, ironically, here we are with a Thor connection where it was just like, 
Thor better really pay attention because there's this thing that's going to happen in a couple of years. And Heimdall said it. Buy your tickets now on Fandango, Avengers Infinity War Part 1. Yeah. That leads us to one of the bigger action sequences of the film with the Hulkbuster battle. We don't get and and don't need a Bruce Banner Hulk vision, just that Scarlet Witch is controlling him and he runs amok here in South Africa. And uh, it's it's a fun scene. The name check of the Veronica device here uh, made in part by Banner to control his his demon um, and and the fun that that brings there. Uh, it's a it's a great sequence. It really, really is. And the the conceptual drawings for this scene were out. I mean, I feel like two and a half years ago so so it's been a long time coming um but a very very fun scene a logical scene and how often do you get the heroes fighting with each other thing let alone um you know hulk kind of really just hulking out big time um the, the fact that they have this hulk buster in their back pocket ready to go as needed up there in space the fact that there's these different options in there the different uh punching hands that can be added at uh, at whim and we're, we of course are so familiar with the idea of the different stark pieces being able to zip and zoop in um super super fun scene it is and it's from there that they hit their necessary low point riding high at the beginning of the movie we're the avengers and now after that sequence you know banner's probably going to be arrested um, they're fugitives essentially in, in light of the destruction and, you know, people being upset what's happened, you know, you're our greatest hope. And, uh, you know, y- you failed miserably here on top of the creation of Ultron that, you know, we, we pause in the middle of this movie and really explore the Barton character with what I call his safe home rather than a safe house i liked that in a movie that is necessarily so big because you have all these properties coming together it has to be bigger than last time and they're friends from the beginning it it really is a wise story choice on uh on uh, joss whedon's part to just say let's go to a place where it's not iron man where it's going to be Tony Stark. Let's go to a place where it's not Captain America, where it's going to be Steve Rogers, to someone's actual house. And as you kind of check through the list, well, we know where Tony Stark lives, and, oh, Steve Rogers lives there too, and so on and so forth, to just take it to the farm, which I had said to you in the movie theater, Pete, is 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 this going to be the grandest <laughs> reveal of all? Is it the Kent farm? And, and the two properties have become one. No, not quite, but just the fact that it's somebody's house where they have tra- have a tractor and milk the cows and you know redo the floors in the dining room. It was uh, it, you know you can't have high without low and you can't have loud without soft. You can't have big without this smaller, slower location. And the reveal that you know slowly happens with him. First, it's you know, uh, Hawkeye doesn't have anybody, don't have a girlfriend. Then, you know, after the Ultron attack, uh, I'm on the phone with my girlfriend. Then, uh, surprise, not only do I have a wife, I have two children and one on the way. Boom, sly devil. Yeah. 
Um, it's from there <clears throat> that once Fury appears and, you know, kicks the story into overdrive, we move to Soul and the technology coupled with the vibranium that Ultron is pursuing wants to, of course, make a body. We had introduced Dr. Helen show earlier in the film, and she mentioned this cradle that she could have used on uh, Barton's injury. So everybody's in pursuit of this technology and we get the chase through Saul, uh, cap and, and widow and, um, you know, the back and forth with the twins going on in that foreign location. The, the character of Dr. Cho, I was initially wondering when I saw her and the amount of prominence she was getting, particularly at the, um, the, the Avengers after party there. Uh, I had wondered if it was a case as, uh, as was with, uh, I believe it was Iron Man 3 where, you know, wasn't it on Iron Man three, Pete, where there was a Chinese character, and I realize she's not Chinese, but where there was a Chinese character that was basically not in any version except for the Chinese version, but in that version he was like a major supporting character. Correct. So I just kind of wondered, like, hey, everybody who's at the Avengers after party, raise your hand if you have powers. Okay, everybody else, raise your hand if you're a super like super trained spy assassin. Okay. Oh, and and hi, Doctor Cho. Raise your hand if you are a marketing character. (laughs) And again, look, I I mean, nothing against her as an actress, nothing against her as a character. It's just, here's the reality. It's a global marketplace now. And I felt kind of like, like this stuff in Soul and the fact that she, you know, as, as nicely established early on, has the ability to do kind of, you know, where, where, you know, you know, skin and, and technology and medicine and, and machine meet. Um, it's a logical uh, story insertion point here, um, <laughs> which I guess just then means she had to have been at the after party. So Ultron could have seen her, but that's kind of a clunky backward justification. Listen, Matt, you got a billion people to sell lunch boxes to. The, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think you or I are being flipped to say uh, that is totally true. And that's, that's the way it is. So from there with uh, really the vision incubating in this cradle device, the Avengers win it back, bring it back to Avengers Tower, and we're back where we were. The symmetrical um, nature of this plot, will we meddle with technology, will we not? And I like that... Who's the one that makes this all happen? Coupled with his vision, Thor pulls a Dr. Frankenstein with the lightning and brings this vision character to life. The embodiment of Jarvis. Wow. First Thor movie directed by Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh played Frankenstein. Thor now in the role of Dr. Frankenstein, bringing life, live, damn it, live. It's all connected. It is. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's, um, I think it's a better storyline overall upon reflection than it might have appeared at, you know, at first blush, which side note, any of these story points, they have the, um, 
they have the tough task of going up against not just all the great Marvel movies before them, but the number of times most people have seen either all of Avengers or you catch a little of it on TV or you pop it on a Netflix for 20 minutes while you're, you know, folding your laundry or whatever. It's like the fact that it, the fact that the first one is so well known. This one's just like, oh, this is, the, I don't know this one as well. So it kind of feels, feels uh, different, certainly. But yes, the fact that Thor is propelled by this vision to really push things forward and, and to place his hope in uh, the character that will be named Vision, uh, I thought it was a really nice uh, turn story wise. And then we go back to Sokovia. So really a chance at redemption with everything that happened earlier in the film with this other character in tow. And Matt, heading into this, you know, we we saw this yesterday. You saw it for the first time. I've seen it a couple times. Heading into my first viewing of it, it was, okay, what will this final act climactic battle be and you really got no hint from the promotion there i have to credit them for that simultaneously the floating city meteor plan future meteor yeah city of today meteor of tomorrow yeah both interesting and at the same time i i just felt it it came up the littlest bit short in terms of Compelling. I mean, it's it's a audacious plan. We're going to crash a piece of Earth into the rest of Earth and exterminate all of humanity in an extinction level event. At the same time, I, I guess it's the same way I feel about Ultron. Just a good villain, but just not as good as Loki. Pete, I think that part of the reason why Loki was so beloved in the first one, beyond the character, beyond Tom Hiddleston's performance of him, was there was such a straight line through the movies that led up to Avengers. Um, I think you could argue that the, the the first two Iron Man movies and even the first Hulk movie didn't didn't really set up Avengers in a big way other than introducing the characters. So you, you had uh, Thor and you had Captain America to really be this clear thing of here's the character now he's banished and gone here's the cube here he's you know getting involved in other ways point being though there was still all this set up for him being the main bad guy with a couple of nods towards the future a couple of nods towards who really could be trying to help him so on and so forth with this it was kind of like it you know I agree with you. Ultron kind of was hastily put together to be a bad guy for this movie, um, or at least hasty in, in the course of the plot, which is fine, except for the fact that the last bad guy got two or three movies lead in. The next bad guy has been hinted at since 2012. So it's that's why you know I call this a B-plus movie. I, I didn't walk out of the theater saying, oh, shucks, they've lost the magic. Um, or maybe it'll be better next time. This is certainly not um, the quantum of solace uh, of of these movies, but it, it it's just it's a it's a quickly put together bad guy who's darn it going to be gone at the end. Loki is a character in the vein of the classic Shakespearean villain. This is the the jaded brother who has notes of good in him and struggles with that. 
Ultron is the creation that wants to wipe us out. He's the Terminator. He's the robot. As good a job as Spader did with what was there on the page, it's just nowhere near as compelling. Which is okay. Uh, you and I on the way out, uh, you know, I had mentioned uh, I had mentioned 12 movies into the James Bond franchise. You had a bunch of legitimate stinkers. This is not a stinker. I mean, the closest that they've come to is probably Iron Man 2, which is not awful, but not really a movie that people are eager to go rewatch. I know some people are, are down on Iron Man 3, certainly not me. Um, but, you know, it's okay to have a B-plus movie. I think this is a movie that when you watch it again um, on home video, Netflix, cable, whatever it is, you're going to... I think it's going to improve, especially because, as I mentioned earlier... The first one, I mean, shoot, Pete, when we did the podcast for the first one, I, I didn't go back and rewatch it. I know you did. It's just imprint, imprinted in my brain. Um, but say la vie. And then to get the revised lineup for the Avengers, we, we know that we're steaming towards this affinity war. We'll talk more about that in a moment with the credit scene. But, okay, let's move our players around. Hulk vanishes um, in part because of what he's done in part out of the fear of what he could or will do. Uh, Barton goes with the family. Um, Stark, you know, retires having really been key to this mistake and this entire conflict here. But we know we're going to see him in theaters a year later in Captain America Civil War. Which <clears throat> internally, Matt, they're calling Avengers two and a half. So to get this new Avengers facility in upstate New York, to have Cap leading Widow, and then you know these hitters that he equates to the twenty-seven Yankees in War Machine and Falcon and Vision and Scarlet Witch. It's effective in the vein of the promise of the end of the first Avengers, which which comes through in this film and the even bigger game that we're playing now for Infinity Gems introduced two more to come before three years from now, Matt, we get our first Infinity War film. It, it was a really nice note to end on. And I think I, I don't know how aware they were that this movie might not just have as much oomph as the first one. Um, I, I suspect that people who have been creating comics long enough know when you have a story for the ages and when you have a really a, re a really good story for this year and kind of know the difference. Um, but to end on that note, to really kind of plant your flag three years after all this hard work had come together to get a, an earned superhero team movie and three years later say... And we will switch things up in the lineup from time to time. We're no longer going to do this kind of um, this kind of protracted contract dance with Robert Downey Jr. Where, well, we need him for more Iron Man. It's like they're going to get that figured out and maybe be a little bit less cheap with these revised deals that they've done for him. But darn it, get ready for this lineup to change and get ready for people to come and people to go because this is Marvel and we have a plan where. Literally anything can happen. Did we see when Falcon showed up? Did we see the Captain America 
actor five years from now? We've discussed that in the Captain America podcast. Are we going to see any of these people sticking around for 10, 15 years? Does does um, Elizabeth Olsen retire from the Marvel franchise in 20 years, beloved, like Judy Dench, you know, left left the James Bond franchise, beloved, and, and having been around longer than anybody else? Truly is a case where the sky is the limit. And when you see the credit scene of the Asgardian vault opening up to reveal the once glimpsed before in the original Thor movie, Infinity Gauntlet. It's an Easter egg. You can go back and find it. And to get Josh Brolin voicing Thanos here, who we saw at the end of the original um, Avengers film and, you know, largely in Guardians of the Galaxy say, okay, I'm going to do it myself. This becomes huge. Pete, I did not realize that that was the the vault at uh, at um, Thorland. It is. The, that's all the better because there was no plan when there was no plan when that was put in in the first Thor movie. I mean, maybe it was a a sparkle in somebody's eye, but I think mostly it was just a cute a cute thing to have there. Um, there was an article this week, Pete, where Kevin Feige said. We actually don't plan ahead beat by beat the way people think. We have we have a rundown where we want things to get to, and we kind of figure out how we're going to get there with each movie and the needs of each movie. The fact that they're able to now loop back and go, hey, there's a bad guy on the throne at um, Asgard and someone who has a connection to Thanos. Like, yeah, that makes so much sense. And the fact that in five frames back in 2010 there was a cute little easter egg of the glove being there and now you can tie it all together that's you know sometimes there's luck and sometimes there's planning but when you plan you get extra luck along the way i think it was really a case of well first off let me let me combat what feige says because that's wrong. That's something they're putting out there like, oh, you know, we just kind of hope. That's nonsense that they don't have beats that they're playing to. Whether or not they truly incorporate those beats, that's different. And for them to have this scene here, everything that's been set up before it, everything that this is moving towards, I mean, what we likely saw in Thor's vision has greatly to do with Thanos in that the way that Heimdall's uh, eyes were, uh, you know, strange, these women around, uh, if not Ragnarok, you know, and, and hell was specifically mentioned by Heimdall, then this is something connected with Thanos. For those who don't know, Thanos does everything he does to impress death, which is personified as a beautiful female in the Marvel universe. So how much of that are they going to push into the cinematic universe? We don't know, but I completely reject this notion that, uh, we're not moving towards, you know, particular chess pieces and then knocking them over cause they completely are. It, it wasn't quite as extreme as you're saying. I think his point was more, that there's not some there's not some locked desk drawer where when you take it out there is 
20 or 25 scenes that must be in age of ultron which then you know, then on the next page 20 scenes that you know th- that are in civil war and then it's it's not kind of this list of here is exactly where the story is going between now and 2020 it's just kind of like we know where we want to get here's our big not even tent poles here's a, here's our different towns along the way how you get there sometimes we're not totally sure or we just kind of sit and say what does this movie need to do oh by the way we also need to have baron von strucker at the end we need to do this we need to do that so i guess bottom line is this in a movie that i felt was a little heavy with seeding stuff for the future there's a flip side people who aren't you know People who weren't following the live tweet of the Marvel event at the El Capitan Theater where they were announcing all of these movies in the, you know that are going to come out, do they sit and go, oh boy, that's such a reference to Thor Ragnarok, man. That was a little bit too much. You should have right. focused more on the plot here. Or do they go, what is that? What's going to happen to Thor? There's going to be another Thor movie? Oh, that's cool. What's it going to – it's called Thor Ragnarok? Oh, man. Hey, that might have to do with that thing. And is it more of like a, an Age of Wonder type thing? I don't know. A detailed look at our bad guys. We will continue over from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Matt, where Dr. List and Baron Von Strucker, uh, List having appeared several times on the show, Von Strucker appearing with List at the end of Captain America Winter Soldier with loki's scepter and the twins it was so wonderful to see dr list there um a little bit less screen time than i had anticipated but in retrospect i think it makes a lot of sense because he really in this movie is just guy number two to baron strucker you know it's the guy for you know strucker isn't going to turn to dude on computer and say let me tell you that we're actually not uh gonna keep fighting here and i'm gonna uh give up yeah you know he needs his lieutenant and the fact that it's dr list you know he's just playing the 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 smallest of roles here but the fact that it's like oh my goodness i saw him go there on tuesday really really nice i know this week joss whedon had some stuff to say in terms of you know the marvel tv world isn't as respected by the movie people as it should be i certainly don't feel that i understand that this is probably a movie that costs 250 million dollars it's a movie that's gonna make probably 1.5 billion yeah it gets to be in the driver's seat and the tv show gets the you know tv shows get the privilege of seeing some scripts and going oh cool this guy's like hydra friend number one let's give him a name and have him have like a five-story arc in our show it's it's all working it was great to see list it was great to see strucker the big introduction here is of course of the twins who will at least for some of this movie function as avengers and then you know moving forward one of them but the twins in uh pietro and wanda maximoff the irony being that they're split between two properties and what Fox has done over with X-Men, uh, you know, from the comics, of course, these are the children of Magneto. We don't uh, have, uh, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> from the comics. Oh. <laughs> but we, we, we don't do that here. And different origin, you know, they volunteered for these. Um 
procedures. We'll talk a little bit about the nature of that in our level seven segment. But um, to have them, to have them, you know, interact the way that they do, you know, there, there was no doubt that they would be fighting on the side of good later on in this film. So, you know, that's not a spoiler or a surprise. But to introduce them the way they did and their motivations, it calls back everything we know about, you know, the previous history of Tony Stark and the Merchant of Death and everything there. It gives us a little bit of a of a foreign flair with, you know, non-American characters. You look other than Thor and Widow, you know, we're largely Anglo in our Avengers setup. And I think I mean I like Scarlet Witch a little bit more than I I care for Quicksilver, but they're both great additions. They work as villains. They work later on as heroes. Yeah, I I think that they particularly work well as the unknown villains, and certainly we we warm up to them as the story goes on. Um, and let let's spend a minute talking about this film's Quicksilver versus the the Fox one. In um, X Men: Days of Future Past, which we of course did as a as a commentary track on um, uh, right around Christmas time, he was so fast that he could move bullets out of the way. Um, mar- th- this Quicksilver markedly slower, which just the the whole time I'm thinking the one in the other movie it's Superman with no kryptonite. This guy here, yes, he can blast through and move. You know the I don't know the the five people every hundred feet out of the way of the derailed train, right. but it's not like he can. What there's some line in Days of Future Past where it's like, oh, I I read your whole book on astrophysics, or it's like something where it was like some ten hour task that that he did while walking to the plane, walking you know fifty feet to the plane, something like that. This is a Quicksilver that just works, and the fact that these two need to get out of the way of of our heroes and bigger villains, they seem really well suited to it. They seem the, these characters do. They seem hollowed out, um, which which naturally is the case of the uh, you know the experiments that have gone on. And and I'm certainly not trying to make a sly joke here, but the fact that the two actors have a chemistry from the Godzilla movie. I was albeit, just gonna gonna say that you know married their brother and sister here. <laughs> More I mean, effective here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? It's it, I mean, it's worth a chuckle. But bottom line is, um, it's nice. Like, look, I don't know. I'm no actor. I don't know if you can just immediately imbue chemistry with somebody that you've just met, or maybe you've like hung out for a week in rehearsals before you start filming. The fact that these two actors have a prior professional relationship and can just be able to feed off each other and the fact that they're apparently cool working together and get along and all of that. I just felt like there was, there was a shorthand between them. That was just a bonus that when you get two people who've worked together before. Yeah. And Hill's assessment of their abilities, you know, you mentioned the Quicksilver we got in days of future past and for, you know, his abilities there, seemingly better but when maria hill breaks them down okay he's got increased metabolism she's got electrical impulses okay he's fast and she's weird that's all we need 
Yeah. And it, it, it works. And you don't need to overthink it. We also don't need to belittle the audience by saying you can't keep up with this. There, there was that explanation there. And it's important to recognize that, you know, five years from now, we will have had, let's see, we will have had Scarlet Witch in this and Cap 3 and two more X-Men movies. So four movies total in five years. It's okay to take a backseat here because even though they weren't uh, the center of, you know, uh, does mother know you wear her drapes and kind of little characterization shading like that. There's plenty of time to get to know, well, at least Scarlet Witch. Yeah. Killing Quicksilver off, at least in this film, Matt, I know we discussed this after you finally saw this, you know, is he really dead? His body's placed on the lifeboat, um, had some other conversation with some other people uh, well, he's dead now. And I know that um, Whedon has played coy, you know, oh, you, you, you saw that he's dead. OK, of, of course, we can bring him back. But guess what? Joss Whedon? Well, he's he's moved out of the Avengers universe here so that they brought in this actor that they brought him in. That was the linchpin of the plan was we're, we're going to kill this beautiful person. Um, and it's going to be, we'll talk about it in level seven, the, the way that it is not foreshadowed with all the tropes that are, you know, thrown at, um, Clint Barton and everything there, it works. It's the sacrifice that the film demands. We know that some of our Avengers from here on out have to pay the price and he's the one that does, I would argue the least interesting Avenger. Well, I was just about to say, it's also kind of the least interesting power. I mean, with yeah. all due respect to, say, The Flash show, which I, I have not kept on kept up with uh, in the last couple of months, but I enjoyed very much the, the lightness of the fall. Um, it's all about the character. Like, it's it, in and of itself, it's a boring power, but if it's an interesting character, so be it. Um, they don't need to be overwhelmingly interesting, either of the twins, in this movie. But at the end of the day, kind of, what is he... What is he bringing to the table? Um, I don't know. Like, I, I'm satisfied with the idea of, yes, he is dead for now. Are we going to see two years from now on ABC TV, you know, Agents of Quick, and he's mysteriously <laughs> brought back? You know, I mean, sure, you never know. But I, I kind of feel like, look, they killed Colson for real and then realized people had such an affinity for him plus Whedon had TV experience plus family members who could be involved in translating that, that it became a thing organically. Um, but the point, but what did they want to do? They wanted to kill a character to make somebody pay a price. And I'm cool with him paying a price here. Nothing. It's the actor. I mean, his wife is old enough to be his mom, but that's, you know what? It's just love, sweet love. Um, Nothing against the actor, nothing against the character. Uh, if somebody had to pay a price, I guess it's him. Unlike Let's, next summer, Pete, where we think somebody's really going to pay a price. Yeah. Let's talk Ultron, and there it's the reverse. It's nothing against the um, the actor. It's about the character and the character, you know, 
I, I don't think is great as possibly could have been conceived. Yeah, I think it's a little, I mean, it's a little kind of one note. You, you don't really get the Pinocchio um, beats like when he accidentally chops off uh, uh, Ulysses, uh, Ulysses Claw's arm. Um, stuff like that where it's like, oh, I didn't know. Well, we could just put it back. Oh, right, you can't. There wasn't enough time to do a ton more of that. I'd even go one step further, Pete. Given the amount of effort that they took to um, animate the face, to have facial expressions, because, of course, he has to emote emote because we're watching him on screen, I kept thinking to myself of all these Star Wars characters who don't have a moving face, whether it's, you know, droids or whether it's masks of some sort – I would have liked it if there was much more of a basic mechanical expression to his face. Um, nothing as motionless as, say, C-3PO, but you think of the you think of the emotion that, say, Wally is capable of. If it was more of that, not in design, but in kind of, well, it moves up and down, and it can move left and right, and that's about it. I would have preferred that as opposed to kind of eyebrow and cheek and chin all, all kind of helping emote the character they want to have it both ways with this character that he can be the villain and that he can be in all of these robot bodies and we give him three primary robot incarnations that you know to the untrained eye it's going to be a little difficult to differentiate yeah Uh, again it's a b-plus villain for a b-plus movie and that's okay um other movies, series have have had far worse and needed to recover. That is not the case here, but a B plus villain. How about Ulysses Claw, Matt? This is a direct connection to the Black Panther mythos. Uh, he's escaped from Wakanda, received a brand on his neck from having stolen the vibranium. That will, of course, be addressed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to come. What'd you think of Claw, who lost his left paw? <laughs> well done there. Um, I would say this: I love that the act, love to see the actor always working, having you know created a film career out of his out of his uh, commitment to the audition for just being a voice actor for Gollum. The way he appeared on videotape for that sealed the deal for him, and he's on this wonderful trajectory ever since. I just felt it was a little like, again, because I'm in the know, it was a little like, ah, ah, Wakanda, ah, you see, it's it's going to be another movie. It's going to be another movie, as opposed to, would we have gone there if there wasn't the Black Panther movie? Um, which I, I think is an important question to ask, just because, uh, just because it's an important question to ask. If you're going there just to set up another movie... Do you get a ton out of it? Again, I'm not being super critical. It was just kind of like a B plus connection, um, and not as I don't know, kind of organically necessary as others. And then, lastly, the Vision, who initially appears in opposition to our Avengers, created from the vibranium, uh, Doctor Cho's cradle technology with the skin binded all together 
the human embodiment of Jarvis. And after Thor brings him to life, there's this moment like, well, what will it be? Yeah, and that to me was the biggest um, mystery of the movie in terms of, you know, I did no research, of course, but just being aware of the advertising, I knew that there was going to be some sort of vision reveal in there. But I, I really enjoyed how the character of the vision came together with Ultron's contribution, with uh, with Doctor Cho's contribution, um, even Thor. Uh, noting uh, a little bit later on that you know he is as good a place as any to keep this particular infinity gem because he is clearly such a worthy heroic character um and frankly paul bettany who's been happy to be sitting on the sidelines doing voice work for you know for all these many movies the fact that he now gets to to step into a costume and be an avenger totally totally cool story twist only quibble I have for the character, I think they should have put a minor voice filter on him. It doesn't need to be full, kind of like the, you know, speaking through metal that Ultron had. But just a little something because he sounds like Paul Bettany in makeup. But if you just had a slight tinniness to his voice, um, I think it would have been a nice reminder, you know, at least uh, for the audio that he's a robot man. I was fine without it. it. It worked for me. It didn't even cross my mind that I'm not believing this. When I was worried at seeing some of the stuff I saw early on that we weren't getting enough of a robot voice out of Spader's Ultron, which we did in the finished cut. Time to analyze and theorize. Matt, let's begin with our volunteers, the twins. Are they inhuman characters? Interesting place to start this discussion. Uh, this morning I read uh, read an interview that uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson did, uh, the actor who plays uh, Quicksilver. His understanding is that um, they're their uh, powers are mostly a product of the experimentation that uh, Strucker and List have done. Um, that said, has their he also used the word uh, like augmentation or improved or amplified. So I, I'm not quite sure what to what to believe in terms of what we've seen from the uh, Inhumans and Jai Ling and their base and afterlife and how careful they are to make sure. People are getting powers when they're supposed to. Now, are there other people who get it not part of the afterlife group? Sure, we've seen that on S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I guess, though, it boils down to this. If we are living in a Marvel Cinematic Universe where you get your powers either from soldier serum or gamma radiation or because you're, you know, or technology or because you're an inhuman, well, then they're probably inhumans, yes. That you have somebody like Captain America who's calling out, all right, we have an enhanced in the field now. Increasingly, we're seeing more and more of these enhanced or powered people to the point where by Captain America Civil War, I don't think it's going to be such a big deal anymore that we're expecting to run up against them. But that we're told that these are the only two that survived the experiments and everything there. I think there's got to be something more at play that allowed them to survive those processes. 
certainly a fair argument. With Ultron, Matt, we have the technology which is explicitly called a computer from the uh, scepter of Loki. And we also have the Chitauri technology that is all over the Hydra stronghold in Sokovia. What do you make of Ultron's roots here? It's it's a really nice origin that they don't oversell, that he is kind of a mishmash of these different movies appropriate for the bring them all together mishmash Avengers movie. Um, I, I mean, I, I read him as mostly a product of the uh, the Stark technology. But yes, there absolutely are influences from the Chitauri, uh, from Loki's scepter, um, uh, buoyed by the uh, the vibranium. Um it, they kind of didn't make a big deal of it, but it's just one of those things that on reflection and on rewatch really uh, help highlight the story. We've dealt with the Chitauri technology and agents of shield. Some of it has, you know, gotten around the black market. There was the item 47 one shot, which, you know, there were characters introduced there that eventually showed up on agents of shield. There was an agents of shield episode with the Chitauri helmets spreading a virus and, and to pull all of those ideas together. Okay. This is a Chitauri computer virus. I thought was picking up on enough of the threads that existed before and to make this a technology and a, and a characterization of their own. But let's Matt talk about characterization Clint Barton gets decidedly more time here through Jeremy Renner, something that was a criticism of him in the first movie. (laughs) Um, And we have these tropey, heavy, foreshadowing moments of his death. He survives a, a critical wound early on that he doesn't have anybody survives the Ultron attack as a non-powered individual. Oh, he's got a girlfriend. Gets through what goes on in Wakanda. Gets to the safe house. Now he has a wife, two children, and a baby on the way. Oh, please make sure you return. I can't. We're going to be outnumbered soon, Linda Cardellini's character tells him. You know, cradling the child from the market in Sokovia in his hands and... You didn't see that coming, Matt, did you? <laughs> no, no. Um, I I kind of like that there was the slight fake out there. Uh, certainly, when when he was going for that for that uh, kid who apparently was stuck by not getting up, um, <laughs> I was just uh, it was just gonna be oh boy, here we go. Um, I kind of like that they didn't do it. Um, I don't know the status of his contract or anybody else's contract. Except they for all I, had three movie deals, uh, whether or not they're choosing to honor Thor where he's in one scene as a movie deal. Not quite sure. Uh, I would hope Marvel at this point knows that. Leave it this way. I hope that there's enough trap doors in the contract where you sit and go. That didn't count as a movie deal. We called you in for one day and paid you. That was a one that was a contract for a different thing separate from whatever. Um I, I but speaking of trapdoors, I like that his character has an out. Now, you know, how deeply was Marvel 
offended or affected by the comments that uh, he and, to be fair, Chris Evans made. Um, I don't know. I mean, if if uh, the next Avengers movie is like, oh boy, Hawkeye, he wanted to be a dad to those three people. Ha ha ha, he's not here anymore. Um, I guess we'll know. Uh, until then, I, I, I liked what they did with his character because he really... He really is underused. Heck, the the character of Hawkeye the hero is, you know, in only half of half of uh, half of the first Avengers movie. So I like that he got some more stuff here. We certainly don't need more of a number of the other characters in their personal lives because we've seen those in other movies. He gets one of the greater scenes of the film, telling Wanda Maximoff that okay. Um, we're on a floating city. Um, I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense, but you step out of here. You're an Avenger. I can't babysit you here. So he is responsible for making her what she becomes talks about her job later on in protecting the key. I have a hard time squaring my, affinity for the character in this go round with what the actor said in the press junket, the, you know, slut gate that we've had at this point. Um, and strangely it hasn't affected me on Chris Evans who in fairness jumped on after Renner called black widows, uh, character, what he did. As offensive as as what they both said was, I mean, I think here's the bottom line. <laughs> there are so many actors out there that have done so much worse, either with words or actions. Y- you know, you, you just need to ask yourself, you know, like, if you're not judging Chris Evans the way you judged um, Jeremy Renner, then, you, you know, you, not just you, Pete, then, then one, and I think most people are probably in the same boat as you, Pete, but you know, then one just needs to say, "All right, I got to get over it because, whatever." You know, if you're not going to fault, you know, uh, actor so and so who got a DUI and hit somebody as having done more physical damage to someone than these comments, then you know, if, and if you think that phys- physically hurting somebody is worth worse than these comments made at a press junket, then get over this. Otherwise, you're not gonna. You know, there's there's a precious few movies with people that are that are good souls and, you know, in it, et cetera, et cetera. I guess we'll see. I mean, I agree. There is a certain stink and there's a certain stick to what was said. Um, I guess time will tell whether it sours people to the actor, to the character and so forth. We had a couple nods to a longtime storyline in the comics, which is the vision Scarlet Witch romance. They eventually marry. Um, during his creation, she is over the top with, you know, she can read him. Um, there's interest on her behalf. And then he saves her during the climax. Do you think we're following that footprint here, Matt? Pete, I think that uh, I think there's no question that we are, and I think that there's also going to be a slight influence from uh, the first season of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and in the next couple of movies, we're going to find out the Vision is fully functional. Yes, and speaking of functional, the the Banner character in this movie, Hulk being the breakout Avenger of the first film, Banner's 
you know, hesitance to get involved, his goofiness in not realizing that um, Natasha Romanoff is interested. Really, really great work turned in by Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, it's uh, as we discussed earlier. It's a it's a logical pairing. It's a pairing that just works. Um, particularly given that, given that her her place in some of the future movies isn't entirely clear. For example, she's not going to show up in a Thor movie. Whereas could Hulk, you know, I mean, not that I've heard rumors, but you know, kind of, sorta. Um, obviously, she she was in the last Captain America movie. But my point being. It's not like, you know, if you say, oh, gee whiz, now her and Captain America are in love and having a romance. Well, now you need to take story time away from that movie to address it. The fact that they're both kind of side players to some of the other movies means that they can have, you know, this can have happened in the past that we haven't seen and, you know, be be addressed in the future in whatever way without needing to take away from Oh man, can you believe the new character that just showed up in Captain America Civil War? Thor's mission, Matt, at the end of this film, he was the first character to give this cinematic universe a galactic feel. And now that we have since done the Chitauri and the Guardians of the Galaxy and Thanos and everything there, where he leaves the core group of the Avengers. I certainly think he's still part of that and goes back to Asgard to ascertain what's going on. We get the end credit scene with the theft of the infinity gauntlet, uh, four stones known to not at this point where our trajectory pushes us to this point. It's the sky's the limit. It is, and uh, a quick check on FantasticGeek.com for the Marvel Movies tab tells me that we do have a number of movies before the next uh, Thor standalone. That would be Ant-Man, Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Untitled Spider-Man, then Thor. That said, you know, I mean, and obviously it's two, sometimes three movies a year. Um, That said, is it enough for him to just leave and then when we do get to Thor Ragnarok, pick up that story thread right there ahead of the movie that follows it, Avengers Infinity War Part 1? Absolutely, that's where we're headed. And not for nothing, you do kind of need to give these characters who are going to have their own upcoming movies some kind of trajectory, and that's Captain America and that's Thor. So it's logical that they're both kind of given clear things to do as they exit the story whereas with tony stark it's i'm gonna go be retired goodbye even though i mean i understand yes he's in captain america civil war but that's you know we need something from the first minute of cap three and thor three and this movie has set that up and then to connect it to thor matt tom hiddleston filmed a cameo as loki whether we were under the impression that it was going to be connected to Thor's vision or whether it was going to be something connected to where Thor went and the infinity gauntlet. None of you know. I would be interested to know why they cut it. Um, If it was just cut because all it was, was a Loki cameo, then I'm fine with that because I think this movie 
was already close to bursting at the seams with, you know, and, and there's Dr. Selvig, who's going to take Thor into a hole. Okay, that I guess is important. And, 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 and here's, here's Peggy Carter, and here's this, and here, like, it was to then be like, oh, wow, my mind is blown, there's Loki. It, it would have had a little less pizzazz, even though he probably would have been a fan favorite cameo. Um, perhaps it was involving a story point that they're now backing off from. Uh, I, I, I don't know, but uh, I would be interested to know why. I guess, I guess, in, you know, time will tell, Pete. Whedon has spoken out that they felt it didn't service the ultimate story and they were worried about the film being overstuffed. Well, that's a good enough excuse for me. And we don't need to talk about anything else, Pete, because I wasn't wrong about anything else. Let's move on to the next yeah, section. Yeah, yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. Fans, listeners of the podcast can go back and you can check Twitter as well that uh, a certain person, not named Spoiler Pete, uh, erroneously predicted Spider-Man's participation in the end credit scene here. So this is the burden of being me being right all the time. Well, Pete, was I keen on there being a Spider-Man uh, cameo at the very end? Yes, I was. However, here's what I think. I think that they want to make sure that they have the right actor in place. Marvel knows there's no need to rush this. And Pete, I know that when I mentioned the Spidey cameo, I said, if it is not in Avengers and the, the theater lights come up and nothing has happened, I'm then going to immediately assume... It is the secret scene in Ant-Man, so let's start the countdown now for countdown now for July. Two bug guys in that movie. My prediction, Spider-Man cameo in that, which frankly can only help goose the box office a little bit on that movie, which is going to do less than Avengers Age of Ultron. That's just a fact and an okay fact. Uh, so let's start the countdown right now. And that will be the secret scene. Well, okay. Time to open up the mailbag. One of the ways that you can get in touch with us, have your words read on the podcast, and to help us out while we help you out is to leave a review of any of our podcasts, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Pop Culture Podcast, the Daredevil Podcast, the Agent Carter Podcast, the Podcast Podcast Podcast. Podcasting podcasts, the podcast. Coming soon. Stay tuned. Get yourself over to iTunes, search Fantastic Geek, and across any of those podcasts. Leave us a review. You help us out by uh, adding your words and giving us that feedback, which we really take to heart. You help others find us if you feel that that's something you want others to do. Uh, or this could just be your guilty little secret that you listen to us. <laughs> well, Pete, you mentioned all those podcasts, uh, of course. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. close to completing its second season. Agent Carter now looking like a slightly dimmer future. Uh, season one of our Daredevil podcast wrapping up in the next uh, three or so weeks. Want to plant the seed in everybody's mind that our summer plans 
um we're we're almost set to announce them and it's going to be uh something that's going to be happening pretty often and only on the pop culture podcast feed uh don't want to quite say what it is yet but something that we're going to be doing uh a lot of is just gonna just gonna live there it's gonna be a slightly smaller offering than you know hour and 15 minute movie reviews and hour and 10 minute uh, agents of shield and 85 minute uh daredevil podcasts but gonna get, looking forward to a fun summer kind of sh- shifting things up a little bit and uh, definitely head over to the pop culture podcast which is of course simulcast on fantasticgeek.com for uh for the fun that we have ahead there but pete the biggest there isn't there it's where people can talk to you on twitter and how can they do so you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J, Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 5,693 followers. Can't be wrong. And Pete, let me give you another number. Four. That is the four ways that people can be in touch with the podcast. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with us we are Fantastic Geek on the .com, the Twitter, and the Gmail. Twitter, usually the best way, because that's popping up on the phone and popping up on the computer, and we can get right back to you. But Pete, what is the fourth way? You can get yourself over to Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like us, we will then show up in your feed, and just another way to interact with us. Pete, just want to say a quick thanks to everybody who uh, has helped us out on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And uh, this uh, calendar month of April, we we created almost a gigabyte of content between Daredevil and S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, a little Adrian Carter update. and uh, Avengers. And, <laughs> and yeah, going back to Avengers 1. Um, the parties continue to roll on with this and we have Daredevil and S.H.I.E.L.D. to wrap up and probably you know carter renewal or cancellation stuff so thank you to everybody who helped make that happen because we absolutely could not have gotten that out without uh, your help for the uh, bandwidth and storage end of stuff nobody does it alone that is so true it's like you need a super team and uh, you all I, I see you scarlet witch listening i see you war machine with those headphones on thank you well that pete I will say adios to all our listeners and uh, give you the famous final word. Hey, big guy. Sun's getting real low. Hey, big guy.